This episode of Creative Control is brought to you by Verizon, the network America relies on. Let me ask you this. When you think about things having a copyright, what usually comes to mind? You're probably thinking movies, music, books, anything that has a well-documented history of piracy or plagiarism, right? Because that's what copyrights are for, to legally protect original intellectual property. So what about dance moves? Let that sink in for a second. In the vast history of iconic dances, I'm talking the Macarena, the Chicken Dance, the Running Man, the Dougie, the Wobble, the Electric Slide, the Cha-Cha Slide, none of them have been copyrighted. Sure, the song the dance is based on is copyrighted, but not the dance itself. And it's not an impossible thing to do. The works of celebrated choreographers like George Balanchine and Martha Graham are copyrighted, so why not the choreography we've seen in music videos? And if you really want to get into it, which of course we will, why not the choreography we've seen go viral time and time again on TikTok? One choreographer taking up this fight is Jaquel Knight. Jaquel is a force behind some of music's most memorable dance breaks in choreography. Beyonce's single ladies in formation, Megan Thee Stallion's body, Cardi B's WAP, that's all Jaquel. And he's recently been making efforts to protect not only his work, but also the work of choreographers and dancers coming behind him. As usual, the law is nowhere up to speed with culture, and getting it there is proving to be a painstaking process. But what Jaquel and the team around him are doing could write a new history of ownership for creators, more specifically, creators of color. This is Creative Control. I'm your host, Casey Finey, and each week I'll be unpacking the driving forces and people shaping the creator economy and what it all means for its future. Now, me myself, I love a good music video dance break. Actually, I remember when I was in seventh grade, I was a member of NSYNC, I mean, in a play, obviously, and I had to learn the choreography to It's Gonna Be Me. And trust, if you ask me to break those moves out on the today of things, I could do it. Deeper still, if I did the choreography without the music, I'm sure you would still get the reference. That's just how impactful choreography can be. And no one understands that quite like Jaquel Knight. Jaquel got his big break when choreographer Frank Gaston Jr. brought him on to help none other than Beyonce figure out some moves for this little project she was working on. That was, of course... And the stylish black and white video mixed with Jaquel and Frank's moves marked a new pinnacle for Beyonce's career and an undeniable moment in pop culture history. The single ladies dance was imitated on Saturday Night Live. There was that random scene in an Alvin and the Chipmunks movie. Even former President Barack Obama reminded guys to put a ring on it during a campaign stop. He even did that iconic hand gesture to prove his point. Single Ladies became as huge as it did because of the choreography. And the choreography was as great as it was because Jaquel threw everything he had into it. I had the chance to interview Jaquel last year for Fast Company's Creative Conversation podcast, and he had this to say when I asked him about how he's reached his level of success. 
you have to believe in yourself and know what you bring to the table and what you have to offer. You know, people oftentimes want to work in this industry, especially in the music industry and the entertainment business to take from, you know, but it's not a business of taking the entertainment industry is a business of giving, you know, you have to come and be ready to give your whole self and not expect anything in return. And I think that was me, especially when I first started. I wanted to give as much as I could in hopes that one day someone would call me, in hopes that I would have an opportunity to run my own music video, in hopes that I could dance on a gig, in hopes that I can choreograph two eight counts. That's the mindset a lot of creatives have at the beginning of their careers. Give your all and expect nothing in return. But... It hits a little different when what you give turns out to create huge returns for everyone but you. It's why Jaquel set out on his mission to copyright his work. Mind you, he isn't looking to hand out cease and desist notices at the club when people do his choreography. He's aiming to protect his work against commercial exploitation. The same way a show, film, or TV ad has to license the music that's used, Jaquel wants his choreography to be licensed in the same way. I mean, it's a process, you know, it's a true in-depth, deep, it gets really nasty at times, it gets really dark, but it's a process, you know, because it's something new and it's something that we haven't seen in this commercial environment. And I guess what has worked with me, you know, is someone has a track record of creating things that go on and they live well beyond that time. Well, beyond myself, I would say, you know, it's, the goal is to always create things that when I'm not here anymore, I still want people doing some of this stuff, you know? It's like, I can't just keep doing this for you. You know, how can I get pleasure out of it? You know, how can it also benefit myself as an artist as well, you know? So I've just been treating this experience as like, as I work with artists, I have to remember I'm an artist myself and I create as well. And I want to create a world where I can create freely and be protected and also reap some of the benefits they may come with. To understand exactly why this is such an in-depth, nasty, dark process, I reached out to David Hecht, an attorney Jaquel has been working with to help him navigate this space. David has litigated some of the most prominent and recent cases of choreography being ripped off, namely in representing entertainers coming after video game developer Epic and their wildly successful series Fortnite. Here's David. Something happened that was very interesting in about 2018. Uh, I was introduced to Two Millie, who's a rapper out of Brooklyn, and he was all over the internet, you know, just talking about how Fortnite in his words, ripped him off because he had the Millie Rock move, he called it, but it was really more than that. And what happened was that Epic packaged his and many other dances as emotes, they called it. Emotes in Fortnite are basically expressions or dances that players can buy for their characters. And if you're not familiar with Fortnite, it is deeply rooted in pop culture. This is a game where you can play as officially licensed versions of Ariana Grande, LeBron James, Spider-Man, and Travis Scott. So it's no surprise that Epic would allegedly tap into popular dances like the Millie Rock for its emotes. And Two Millie really was talking less about the money that he was owed and more about how this was appropriate misappropriation as far as renaming. And so what upset me and, and upset him in seeing this was people were no longer calling the dance the Millie Rock. They were starting to call it the Swipe It because that's what Epic called it. And that's, and I called it the cultural misappropriation because 
you know, that's something that started in Tumalese community, started in the rap scene and became kind of gentrified, I guess you would say. At the very least, he just wanted to be asked and wanted credit, right? And so I told him, look, this is a very interesting opportunity to actually sue Epic because there is a copyright here, in my opinion. Two Million David did file a lawsuit against Epic in 2018, and soon David took on other entertainers who came to him with similar complaints. Alfonso Ribeiro, better known as Carlton from The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, claimed Epic ripped off his signature dance from the show, which became known as the Carlton, but was renamed as quote-unquote fresh as an emote in Fortnite. Very subtle. And there was Russell Horning, a.k.a. the Backpack Kid, who went viral with the dance move The Floss that also found its way into Fortnite. At least give credit where credit's due. I do think it was outrageous for them to have done what they did to rename, to think that no one would notice when... You know, some of these comparisons, they're still on YouTube. I mean, they have tens of thousands, if not more, views. I think they have a lot of money. They, they did really well off of Fortnite. And sometimes, in my experience, companies with money, including, you know, big tech, they just don't care because they figure they can pay the lawyers. And I've seen this over and over, and it happens a lot more than you would think. And it's actually a very sad story because the state of intellectual property in the United States is very much against the little guy or gal or whomever, because it's just stacked. I mean, the the courts are very pro-big tech, pro-bigger firms that are representing them. Um, So it is really David versus Goliath out there. They figure, okay, we'll bleed the other side out. And, you know, that, that was actually part of the reason I think they chose to do what they did and target the people that they did. Because for the most part, and this is just my opinion, But a lot of my clients who were going after Epic were African-American. And not many people would think, for example, that Tumili, who is not, you know, he's not completely loaded. Like many performers, you know, always struggling. Um, You know, it's hard to to get out there. He's recognized, but it's not easy. It's not easy to make money off the record labels and all that. Um, But, you know, they're probably thinking, oh, this guy from Brooklyn, Who's he going to afford? You know, who's he going to be able to retain? And that's a problem. The access to justice is a huge problem. The lawsuit was dropped after a Supreme Court ruling in 2019 that basically stated you can't sue for copyright infringement unless you have an approved copyright for your intellectual property. It may have been a setback for entertainers looking to have more control over their art, but Tumili's lawsuit and the surrounding media coverage did bring up a question not enough people have been asking. How do you copyright dance moves? I will tell creatives, and there is a positive thing that you could uh, take out of this, which is anyone can register choreography. The copyright exists from the moment you fix in a tangible medium. The register, meaning, sorry, lawyer speak. That means I was gonna say. <laughs> sorry, it flows I off didn't the pass the bar. I didn't even try. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> but that, what that means is captured on some kind of medium, right? Captured on you. Uh, whether it's art painted, right? It can't be an idea in your head. Like I'm thinking about a beautiful rose. No, that's not protectable. It has to be pen to paper, paintbrush to paper, or, you know, um, musical note to paper. Or in the case of choreography, there is actually something called Laban notation. So you could actually notate and have choreography entirely on paper. 
or you could have music that's recorded audio. You could have video that's on, you know, video. Um, and same thing with choreography. So most choreography, I would think, is not kind of notated in Laban notation because it's expensive, but is recorded on video. Even if you do submit a music video as your tangible medium, it still may not be enough. Another thing that's really notable, and this happens in the case of Jukbal, there are some music videos, like Single Ladies being one of them, where there are wide shots of the dances. And so it's very easy to say, okay, well, that's the dance because you can see the whole thing. And even the cuts are relatively few. But, you know, that's not the way most music videos are made. Most are like now Michael Bay action movies where it's like one second clip, you know, no, no, wide, wide angle, tight, tight angle, like all these different angles. And you can't see the full choreography. And I get that. And that's why I've submitted, in some cases, both the studio reference copy, which is Jaquel or others, you know, performing what the performers, you know, like whoever it is um, that he's working with at the time are going to see and perform and learn, um, as well as the music video. And then they're like, well, it's the music video that's published. That doesn't really have choreography. So no. And the other one isn't published. So it's really, I mean, so I get it. And it's just, there is no guidance to how to, how to approach this. There's also the issue that simple dance moves and basic steps like the waltz or the hustle aren't eligible for copyright, which to a certain extent is understandable. I mean, a lot of choreography is made up of smaller dance moves, so it would be tricky to parse that all out. It's actually what Epic's legal team really focused on in defending their emotes. But with those Fortnite dances in question, there could be the argument of right of publicity, which prevents the unauthorized commercial use of someone's name, image, likeness, or other recognizable aspects of one's persona. When you think about the Millie Rock, the Carlton, and the Floss, who do you think of? Two Millie, Alfonso Ribeiro, and the Backpack Kid. The right of publicity addresses the more simple movements that you know the copyright office would really have a problem with. But people have had a signature, you know, like there's that guy, um, who's that the guy who does the little salt thing? Um, oh, salt bay. Uh, yeah. the, the, the salt bay, right. right. Yeah. Like, well, that's kind of, you know, that's him. If someone else was the, if they were going to use that in the Domino's commercial, you know, the, the first question is, has he endorsed it? Is he a part of that, right? And so, you know, these are the types of things that I look out for and that I know that clients reach out to me about because as they get famous or, or do things um, that are recognized on the internet or popularized on the internet, that in some ways protects them because under state laws of some states. It's clear that copyright and choreography favors artists working in more traditional forms like ballet or modern dance. According to the U.S. Copyrights website, quote, Registrable choreographic works are typically intended to be executed by skilled performers before an audience, end quote. But how are we defining who's a skilled performer and what exactly constitutes an audience in the digital age? Obviously, the courts haven't had much experience wrestling with dance and games, music videos, or social media. But Jaquel Knight scored a major victory in pushing copyright law forward when he successfully secured a copyright for single ladies in 2020. Next on his to-do list, helping dancers and content creators protect their work on social media. More on that after the break. This episode of Creative Control is brought to you by Verizon, the network you can rely on for your phone and for your home internet. Find the plan that's right for you at verizon.com. 
Jaquel copywriting his single ladies choreography was a big milestone in rethinking copyright law as it pertains to dance. But can the same be done for choreography on TikTok? You can't scroll past more than a few videos on TikTok before you get to someone doing some kind of dance challenge. And if we're keeping it real, which I'd like to think we do on this podcast, many of those popular dance challenges are made by creators of color. And what usually ends up happening is their moves are copied by non-BIPOC creators, again, just keeping it real, who have much bigger platforms. They do the dance, they get the likes and exposure, and the original creator gets virtually nothing. Jalea Harmon was just 14 years old when she created the viral renegade dance to rapper K. Cam's song, Lottery. If you were on TikTok back in the fall of 2019, it was impossible to miss. Unlike Jalea's credit, here's Jalea in an interview with Nightline. What was that like for you? I was really, you know, I was happy that people were doing it, but I was kind of frustrated at the same time because they weren't really giving me my credit. If I saw somebody do the dance, I would go on in their comments and say, hey, this is my dance, this is my dance, but nobody would believe me. It took a New York Times profile to finally give Jalea the recognition she deserved. And sure, so much of TikTok is all about remixing other people's content, but you can't blame a creator for feeling a way when their work is taken without proper credit. Black creators on TikTok actually went on strike last summer when Megan Thee Stallion's song Thought Shit came out. I mean, this song was made for a TikTok challenge, but Black creators gave a resounding and understandable nope. It's actually what led technology company Logitech to reach out to Jaquel. There was a real sense of frustration among many creators that their work was being taken and used and not credited. Meredith Roja is the global head of entertainment and creator marketing at Logitech, where she focuses on programs and partnerships to help amplify the creator community. And so we saw this really interesting parallel. We're like, well, what if we could connect the dots between what Jaquel is doing with his commercial choreography and what creators are doing? Because in many instances, these emerging creators, they had no idea this is possible. They don't really have resources. They were kind of just like the wind was being taken out of their sails. And without protecting your work, innovation really suffers. So it's been my mission to develop programs that are action-based. Instead of just saying we care about creator rights, we're going out and we're actually copywriting creators' work. You know, like how do we really lead with actions? And then also how do we lead with entertainment? You know, at the end of the day, it's fun to create content and we have a big platform as a tech company. How can we pour gas on Uh, the fire for these emerging creators or established creators, and how can we create some really cool, unique programs together? One of the programs was working with Jaquel to help 10 BIPOC creators secure copyrights for their choreography. Remember earlier in the episode when the attorney David Hecht was talking about how expensive yet necessary it is to get a documented record of your dance steps? Logitech took care of all of that. They were like crying and they were like, what are you doing? You, you, Jaquel, have done this wonderful thing and you have the spotlight and you don't have to share it, but you're taking us with you. And that is so much a part of who he is that he's really trying to make a difference for the next Jaquel night so that, you know, his legacy could be not only his own copyrights, but the ability for creators that are coming up to earn a living with their work. And two of those creators were the twin sisters behind the viral dance to Megan Thee Stallion's remix of Savage featuring Beyonce. I'm a savage, okay. Classy, bougie, ratchet, okay. 
Sexy, moody, hey, nasty. My name is Shanae Abram, <laughs> and I'm Janae Miller. Just got married. Me too. Oh, congratulations. <laughs> oh, wait, wait, wait. Was this a double wedding? <laughs> Please tell yeah. me. Okay. I'm good. with the Stanley twins. Yeah. Shanae and Janae, known online as the Nene Twins, are trained dancers who have worked with major artists including Nicki Minaj, Lizzo, Tyga, and Future. And that was all before they went viral on TikTok. So we did, like, we felt like, oh, we're going to blow up because we danced with this person or because we traveled the road with this artist. But no, it was when we got on the TikTok platform is when people started to notice, you know, just our talent and... um we started TikTok, like I said, 2019, and we were just doing the challenges like everybody else. And we just started creating challenges when we were um, in quarantine. That's when we actually started making up challenges and stuff. But before then, we, we did post like concept videos on YouTube all the time. Before we even got on TikTok, we were posting concept videos, dance videos, like a minute long. Mm-hmm. One minute or 30 second long videos. But once we got on TikTok, we started doing like 15 second videos, 30 second videos. So it was a lot shorter, but it was um, still entertaining. And then when the Savage remix song came out, mm-hmm. we were like, oh, we have to create this. Yeah. Everybody's going to be creating to it. <laughs> so Janae was like, let's get started. So we started choreographing. And then usually after we choreograph, we like wait, like rehearse. We rehearse one day. Yeah, we rehearse, and then we like wait, and then we're like, okay, tomorrow we'll like probably like come up, yeah, get dressed up, and then we'll think of a plan, like where to shoot it and stuff like that. And then before we can even go to the next day, we seen people posting their challenges, and we're like, ah, hold on, wait, wait. Before no, for real, people start posting. So we're like, let's just post it just so we'll remember it, just so we'll remember the dance. <laughs> and we were all in like our lounge clothes, yeah. Stuff. We didn't have no makeup on, our hair was like this. whatever, yeah. yeah. And so we're like, we'll just put it out there and see what happens. And then, it please, just, yeah. you, will you let the moves speak for themselves? You didn't need to get yeah. all fancied up, like, I mean, exactly. those moves were it clearly. So. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let me ask, because I feel like I've interviewed quite a few creators, and I always love to get in their minds of when they blow up on these apps. So what was that like for you? Take me back to that moment where you started seeing all the likes go up, all of that. Like, what did that Yeah, actually, so we didn't even notice it at first. Our friend actually messaged us, and she was like, you guys are going viral on on Twitter. And we're like, we don't even have a Twitter. We're like, what? They, t- they took our video from TikTok, reposted it, it on Twitter, and it blew up on there first. And I think a lot of people actually don't know that, that it blew up on mm. Twitter first before TikTok. Yeah. So that was pretty exciting. I was like, wow. And then when we wow. started to see, like, Meg noticed, she noticed it, and then she did our, our dance twice. That was, like, super exciting for mm-hmm. us. And just like it's been like it was like kind of like a whole week when our phone was like going yeah off it, and it, was, it was it was for days stuff. yeah it was last it lasted for a lot of days yeah Going viral helped the Nene twins land partnerships with the likes of Nike, Amazon, Fenty and Uber, all incredible opportunities for sure. But their partnership with Jaquel Knight and Logitech is offering them something deeper than exposure. 
I think it made us appreciate it more. Mm -hmm. um, you know, creating is just, it felt like a habit. I mean, like a hobby or mm -hmm. just something to do for fun. But now when you look at it being like copywritten and you think, oh, wow, like our work is being seen and it's being acknowledged. Mm -hmm. I think that that's, it's, it's very um, motivating. It's very motivating. Yeah. And it's very, it's, it's, we're like making history. We're like in the making of, making history so it's like so inspirational mm -hmm. and um for the upcoming creators i'm sure that they see that and they're that's something that they're going to strive to want to get you know mm -hmm. their moves copywritten as well right and again i know it's early stages but what do you see for this type of initiative like what do you what do you want this to be i would like black creators to get acknowledged more to get more opportunities mm -hmm. um for all the hard work that they put in because it's not easy like we literally like well for us i mean the savage rings was easy for us, but like when they, going viral was easy but you know the rest of it like okay all right no, like the work that it took for us to get there you have to be persistent you have to be committed Mm -hmm. to this and it's kind of like a full-time job already and even when you are working another job it could be hard right now we are working full-time with this thing so we're blessed to do so but to be able to see them on the big screen and be acknowledged for their work would be a blessing and that's what this is all about so much of black culture has been appropriated for the financial benefit of everyone except the creators what Jaquel is doing, at the very least, is bringing the idea of ownership more directly into the spotlight. Here's Meredith from Logitech. So every time I talked to Jaquel, like I got the little hairs going up on the backs of my arm. Like I felt he's writing something that's going to be in history books. Very rarely do you work on a project as a marketer that has a life that's going to be written down in that capacity. Like you hope that, you know, your campaign will sell some products and you hope that it will impact some people, maybe put a smile on their face. But when you get to work on something that really is that important that people will probably learn about it in school at some point, that's like a once in a lifetime career opportunity. And, and a lot of this is being done in real time, right? Like laws are being changed. He's bringing um, important stuff forward to kind of like decision makers and there's a lot of impact. Like you can directly see what he's doing. And I would say there's some percentage of Jaquel showing up in TikTokers feeling th that they have to put a dance credit when they do a TikTok. Like I do think he has, he's one of the people who has made that kind of like a non-negotiable. Changing history is absolutely an in-depth, nasty, dark process like Jaquel said when I interviewed him last year. But a little headache today could mean a world of opportunities for creators of color tomorrow. Because as you said, there's these huge corporations and big companies that see the impact of dance and they get it. They got it good. So it's not allowing them to continue to go and abuse the, the land of, you know, but also allow us to take part of that. You know, it's not to say don't do it, but allow us to be a part of it. 
I'll say is to just protect us across the board as these companies go and make billions of dollars. We want a little bit of that. I want hey, a little bit of your billions, <laughs> you know, as you go travel the world and you're doing these dances over and over again, you know, and you're getting millions a night, you know, let me see some of those millions, exactly. you know, a little bit of it, you know, so that's all I'm saying, you know, and then for us as the creators, the experience could be even more collaborative and you can create better things and take the things further and you know choreographers are super creative you know we have ideas that like can really launch an artist and it's pad you know so allow us to do just that and you know be a part of the experience fully and not just a piece of it and that's a message we can all groove to but no 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 no, no. don't groan you know that made you laugh a little bit that's all for this episode of creative control Make sure you subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. And we want to hear from you. Are you a creator trying to navigate the creator economy? What questions do you have about who controls what? Send any questions or feedback to podcasts at fastcompany.com. That's podcast with an S at fastcompany.com. Today's episode was produced by Franz Bowen. Fast Company podcasts are produced by Franz Bowen, Avery Miles, and Blake Odom. Editing and sound design is by Nicholas Torres. Executive producer is Joshua Christensen. And editorial oversight from Deputy Editor Kate Davis and Senior VP of Entertainment Scott Meebus. <laughs>